Welcome to the World of Horror Podcast, Season 4, Episode 8. I'm Mom. And I'm Matt. This is the podcast where we share our love of international horror. Fear is universal, but we are not afraid of subtitles. Wahoos! This week, our topic is puberty pandemonium movies. <laughs> we reviewed Thelma, or Telma, from Norway, and Carrie, 1976, from the U.S. Before we get into it, fair warning, these discussions will include spicy language and spoilers. <laughs> Let's move on to our first segment, Mom and Mac Chat. Hi, Mac. How's it going? Good, Mom. How are you? I'm good. I've got an angry cat next to me. I just <laughs> went to pat her and she she gave me a hiss, so now I'm I'm I've got the laser pointer on her. She's she's been kind of a, a in a weird mood. I think her brain might be going. <laughs> oh yeah, that happened to Lillian. I mean, I could be wrong, but she is turning fifteen this year. And she just has a way of like, she doesn't really know what she wants, but she knows she wants something else. So she'll just come up to me and just scream and like slap me until I figure it out. Kind of like an actual baby. Um, She just kind of like, but, but as soon as I put her in the place where she definitely wants to be, like as soon as I figure it out, she totally relaxes, but she won't go do it herself. Like, like her food, she's got food. It's there. She's bothering me. I'll go and I'll take her and I'll put her in front of the food to just be like, there you go. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, oh, yeah, food. Yum, 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 yum. Lillian was kind of like that. She lived yeah. to be 18. And mm-hmm. uh, but she would like go sleep in a closet and then <laughs> she would just like cry from the closet at, at some point. And I'd say, hey, Lillian, come on. And she'd be like, oh, yeah. And then there are people home. here. Bound, bounding into the room so i mean i'm happy to like i don't even think of it as like uh, a bad thing necessarily it's just this is just a new quirk everyone has always been a little bit quirky so this is her just a new thing and like i can figure it out pretty fast like the only issue comes when you get lazy and you're like ah, i don't know what do you need but if you just get up figure out what she needs good yeah makes sense there's probably a limited number of things she can imagine in her little pea brain. <laughs> and <laughs> when when we run out of things and it's like, I don't know what you need, eyes lock her in the room. Yeah, <laughs> she's, got, I- she's got everything she needs. She's got, you know, litter box food, heating pad, toys, catnip. So it's kind of like, and then she does settle down. It's kind of like, I think, putting like a towel over a bird cage. She's kind of like, oh, and then she goes to sleep. That's really funny. Yeah, Quinn does something similar. She just pulls the blinds for Rosie, mm-hmm. her her Rosie, to indicate it's nighttime now, so yeah. you should probably lie down. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't always work, but <laughs> sometimes it works. So, yeah. How are you? I'm good. Um, I've been doing a lot of art, but I have to have my summer course ready by May 2nd, so... Uh, <laughs> it's gonna be a push but i mean i'll do it it's just that you know what when the summer hits my priority is art podcasting and working out and then my job can just hang on and i'll get to it <laughs> but 
I, I said I was only going to sign up for four classes. Mm-hmm. And I signed up for five. So, but they're all, eth- I, <laughs> I know, but they're all ethics. So it's the same class, basically. I just have to stagger the assignments. I'm still flicking water at you. I know it's not like, good. A, like a squeeze bot. <laughs> I mean, part of it was like, I just didn't want to say no. So that's, that's something I have to get over. But then also I was like, well, it's more money. True. Yeah. But I, I, uh, yeah, I don't know. But I think if I just organize my day, mm-hmm. like make sure I do at least an hour of working out, podcasting, and art, and then whatever else happens is fine. Yeah. But, um, I mean, the work will get done. I believe in you. And if I simplify my side gigs, like the assignments for those schools, then I think it'll be much, much more manageable. Yeah. I believe in you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> no, I'll learn. At some point, I'll learn. But <laughs> Oh, you'll learn. <laughs> well, I'll never do... What am I doing? Nine? I'll never do nine. Ever oh, again. my God. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. It's too much. Please don't overwork yourself. No, I won't. I mean, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. But I just... I just no, I really do need to just do that. Just like um, make a list <laughs> and then stick to the list. And then I don't know when it's too hot, like at the hardest, hottest part of the day, that's when I'll do my schoolwork mm. when I can't go outside. Yeah. Have you been to any movies? I haven't. I I thought about going to the movie theater last week by myself because i've actually never really done that before i've never really gone to the movie theater by myself which might sound crazy um i watch a lot of movies by myself at home but i've just never gone to the theater but i was thinking about going to that movie x me too next week. <gasps> well then maybe i'll just go with you let's go see it's like yeah let's just go together <laughs> yeah and i heard it's really good and i haven't been to a movie theater since Candyman. i don't think when we saw Licorice Pizza. Oh, look, yeah. I block but, it. I block it yeah. out of my mind. Well, I mean, what about, good. Mac, what about your favorite movies from March? Well, Mom, <laughs> pull up my letterbox. I have watched a shit ton of movies lately. Do you um, want, um, while you're looking that up, do you want anybody to follow you on Letterboxd? Well, if you'd like, you totally can. Um, my name is Hog with 11 G's. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, it seems like the gremlins are in the control room for Letterboxd. Yeah, oh, I saw no. that. I saw that. Well, that's where all my movies are. Oh, well. Let me, let me go on Shudder.com because it's all been mostly shutter originals that i've been watching because yeah. here's my thing is when i with a th- with a thing like shutter i am like they've got a lot of cool movies but a lot of the movies they have you can get somewhere else so i was like let me only watch for let me let me exhaust all of my options for shutter exclusives and originals so that's what i've been watching lately um so and then actually, I guess this is not the same thing as a um, a, a good movie, but I've got a lot of bad ones I've seen. Okay. Um, Shudder's kind of chock full of shit, and I don't really mean to be rude to Shudder, but um, it's just true. I started, okay, I did not finish. 
I started watching a movie that seems very good so far. It's called Shrew's Nest. Um, oh, and I, I've watched that. Have you seen it? Is it, Is it good? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I started watching that the other day, but I didn't finish it. Because usually what I'm doing is I'm drawing or working on something during the day and I like to have a movie up and bad movies are perfect for that. So I'm not even saying that I'm disappointed. I was looking for this. Okay. I saw a movie called The Ranger, which is a Shudder original. And <laughs> that movie was um not bad, but it, it has to do with – no, okay, it's bad. But there was a lot of really great deaths in it, so I still recommend watching it. I also – watched the film night's end it's one of the newest ones from shutter in fact it's the newest thing on shutter and i only watched it because when i opened up shutter it was like night's end bad movie um do not watch this movie instead i would watch ari aster the guy who did hereditary midsummer he has a lot of great shorts um that he did when he was in film school i guess and he has one that's very very similar to this movie but it's only six minutes long and it's called something like Bo's Nightmare or something like that. Watch that instead. Just look up Ari Aster's shorts and watch those and then don't ever watch Night's End. Okay. So those are my movies to not watch. Okay. I, let's see. I saw a movie from Australia called Hounds of Love. Ooh. Which is big. I mean, Australia is so fucked up, no? Yes. I mean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at some point we'll probably do the Snow Snowtown Murders. And uh, that's like the most fucked up movie I've ever seen. Now, granted, I haven't seen that many fucked up movies, but that one still haunts me. But that one's next. That one's like a different kind of fucked up. You know, it's very like, like, okay, a Serbian film. Yeah, that's fucked up. But like the Snowtown Murders, it feels so much realer of like, and sad and um, depressing. And it's some something fucked up like Human Centipede, obviously, you can be like, wow, that's really sad that in this movie somebody's mouth was sewn to an asshole. But it's like different when it's like li- like that I would say it's like the same level of disturbing as like that Mads Mickelson movie where he's like accused of being like a oh, yeah. monster. You know, it's just very the like hunt. Yes, it's it hurts like in a different yes. way, you know? Well, Snowtown is based on actual case, and so is Hounds of Love. And Hounds of Love, I would just say, I told Quinn not to watch it because there's a dog death. Mm. Um, But it's a couple and they, you know, they capture teenage girls and they kill them. And so this is the story of a survivor. Spoiler. But this movie came out a while ago. Also watched Drive My Car, which was fantastic. I had never seen Stoker. So I watched that. Oh, hellbender was that good i was thinking yeah. about it. okay i'll watch it this week and then um this morning i watched the worst person in the world which is by the same director as telma so oh cool yeah. um that one is very talky or very reedy <laughs> if you don't <laughs> speak norwegian which i don't also one thing i wanted to start doing is shouting out things mm-hmm. that we like and I wanted to shout out some podcasts. So one of the things I do, I've started doing is listening to Spanish language podcasts because it makes my brain work more. And, you know, we got to have, we have to stave off the Alzheimer's. <laughs> so <You're> real. <laughs> I do Wordle every day. I do a crossword puzzle every day. I do my Duolingo and 
now I started listening to Spanish language podcasts. And so I wanted to shout out Los Criticos y El Sion Perdido. That one is just two guys just talking about movies. And then there's one, it's a little more slick. It's produced by Netflix Latin America or something. Wow. And it's called Nada Que Ver. And uh, that means nothing to watch. <laughs> and uh, it's all about Netflix stuff. But mm. the last show they did was on trans visibility. So, mm. and that was a really great conversation. And there's one more, which is a trivia podcast called Brain Ladle Trivia. And <laughs> I actually, I like the, I like the trivia, but mm. they are doing two things that I want to co-opt for our podcast. Oh, yes. One of them is they do ads for other trivia podcasts and That's it's sort cool. of like an exchange thing. And I want to do that with us. So, Wohos, if you have a film podcast or a horror podcast and you want to do an ad for World of Horror on your podcast, then we would do an ad for your podcast on World of Horror. Yeah, I love that. And then the other thing that they do is they have a Patreon, but it's just $10 a month for a, a guest invite. Oh, <laughs> that's fun. Yeah. I mean, they're playing games. We're not playing any games over here. Although we could, we have in the past. <laughs> but I mean, it's a different kind of a thing, so I'm not sure. But I don't, I, I don't know how I feel about Patreon. And, mm. you know, I want to have you design some stuff for the show and but that's different mm -hmm. you get an actual object yeah. i don't i don't feel great about like keeping content from people yeah yeah so that's i'm not interested in that but i don't know i do want to have some more guests on the show and we'll give it a shot over the summer and see how it goes eh yeah okay i mean i even think like it would be interesting to have like maybe put out on Instagram of just ask it because I mean, I think it's great having people from other podcasts or or other people who are doing like actual like cool film stuff. But I mean, also, if there's somebody who's chill and is just like, hey, there's this uh, movie I really like, like the best the best thing to have is a person who is excited about what they're talking about. So if if there's somebody like that who's cool and like you don't even need to be associated with anything just yeah you know have a cool person with a new viewpoint yeah and uh i i am gonna well i reached out to somebody that i well i won't say who it is yet but <laughs> she did agree to do the podcast and i think hers is my very favorite podcast out of all <gasps> the ones i listen to so i'm so excited Oh, that's I'll, great. I'll just say she's Australian. So I'm Ooh. so excited. But, um, <laughs> and then I also want to get, you know, who. Mm -hmm. and so I, I need to reach out to people, but I just decided I'm just going to reach out. If they don't reach back, yeah. that's fine. Yeah. You know, um, no hard feelings, but no. I think it'd be great to have some, some conversations with some, some different people with different perspectives. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like that. <laughs> um, Mac, did you want to shout out anything? Yes. So I have been playing this game. I have on my Twitch a, you can get channel points just by watching. And one of my channel point redemptions, it's really expensive. It's a hundred thousand channel points, which I don't know how, what that correlates to to how long it takes, but it takes a while, I guess. So a great friend of mine redeemed it. And so the reward is they get to pick the next game that I play. 
And they were very nice to buy me the game as well. And the game is called Near Automata. And I really think, Mom, you would be interested. Now, in the actual gameplay, if you're not into playing games, probably not. But the story, it's very philosophical. And one of my favorite things is like relating android, like the idea of an android, a sentient android, and how that can correlate to just things that humans feel as well. Because I think sometimes it's better for me to to phrase things in my head as if it were like a computer program. It like makes more sense to me to think about my brain like that sometimes. And I just the the basic story revolves around you play one of two androids who's tasked with killing these machines. They make a very distinct you know thing. There's androids, then there's machines because machines have taken over the earth, and these androids were built by humans to get rid of all the machines so humans can go back to earth. But you struggle with a lot of existential stuff because most of the machines are evil, but some of them genuinely say, like, stop, don't hurt me. I don't want to fight. And you can then, like, search the mind of the machine to think, like, what is it thinking about? And they, they're they thinking these really, I mean, kind of sad, really fucked up things. Like, like if my purpose is to hurt things, but I don't want to hurt things, then what's my purpose? Why was I made? Like, all of these things. And... Um, there's a lot of other like philosophical questions of, you know, if you like the chat, chat told me the name, I didn't know this beforehand, but the Theseus's ship of like oh, yes. removing parts of yourself, that question's brought into of like, um, cause there's an android you meet who has one like bio part left, but that it's their leg, but their leg's broken. And they're like, well, if I replace it, am I still me? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's just a lot of great questions like that. And, they also kind of reference a lot of philosophers directly. So I, I think if, if there's some like analysis on YouTube or something, yeah. And if you're not into playing games, I would recommend looking it up because I think there's a lot of interesting ideas and, and thought experiments in the game. Oh, that sounds so cool. Yeah. Yeah. One of the projects that I have for my students is to. Well, usually I select it, but <laughs> to select a, a form of media and, you know, just connect it to whatever the hell we're talking about. So like the Truman Show works for a lot of stuff and people generally like to watch the Truman Show. And but I'll let them choose a research topic. Anyway, one time somebody asked if they could connect it to a video game and she was an excellent student. I don't remember what the game was. But she made the connection, so that's all that really mattered. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, that sounds really interesting. And so if I – I mean, that might even buy me some cred. I think it would. (laughs) (laughs) So that's important, maybe. (laughs) So, yeah, okay, I'll totally check it out. Yeah. Do you want to get into it, Mac? Let's get into it. So Carrie, uh, pretty, pretty freaking classic. It was Stephen King's first novel, right? Yes. Um, so yeah. yeah, first published novel. I've never read the novel, but I definitely will. I read lots of Stephen King, but I've just never gotten around because, because in my head I was like, well, I know Carrie, but watching it now, having read a bunch of his books over, I'm like, yeah, I know that there will be cool things to pick up from the book, um, that you don't get from the movie. And I watched this movie 
forever ago, but I thought it was stupid when I watched it as a kid at first. Well, only because there's a lot of things that are very like, it's very vintage, you know, like there's a lot of new ideas or like the fact that like the like sound happens anytime something scary happens. Like if you watch it at first, you might think it's cheesy, but now watching it over again, obviously I can appreciate it. So, and yeah, I liked it a lot more watching it over again. So Carrie, it was directed by Brian De Palma, screenplay by Lawrence D. Cohen, and based on, like I said, the book by Stephen King. It came out in 1976 in the US. It stars Sissy Spacek as Carrie White, who was nominated for this. Piper Laurie as Margaret White, also nominated. Honestly, good. I think they both did such an amazing job. Amy Irving as Sue Snell. Believe it or not, William Cat as Tommy Ross. <laughs> The John Travolta as Billy Nolan, Nancy Allen as Chris Hargensen, who was Anne Lewis in RoboCop, Betty Buckley as Ms. Collins, uh, PJ Souls as Norma Watson, Eddie McClurg as Helen Shires, and Cameron De Palma as the boy on bicycle. I think he was De Palma's nephew. Oh, okay, cool. And wasn't wasn't Sue Snell's like mom? Yes, mom actually played by her mom. I only knew that from like the Amazon trivia thing. But yeah, so it was released November 3rd, 1976. It has a runtime of 98 minutes. Did you want to mention any other cool facts? I know you were you were messaging me about Tommy Ross from Believe It or Not. Well, he's from a show called Greatest American Hero and I you can you can watch Greatest American Hero on YouTube. I think it came out Maybe it went ran from like 81 to 83. I watched it. I don't remember it at all. And it's not bad. But so I've yeah. seen about four eps and it's not bad at all. And the premise is just that this normal guy who teaches high school students who are, you know, the kind of uh, the ones who are from the wrong side of the tracks mm-hmm. or whatever. He teaches them. He's a single father. And aliens leave him a suit and but and an instruction book but he loses the instruction book and <laughs> hijinks ensue it's i mean but it's really like it's got a good heart it's a stephen j cannell joint and robert culp is in it and it's really good Aww. and i was happy to to find out that it was really good this guy is just so appealing to me yeah. I mean, look at that face. He's very cute. And his hair is gorgeous. 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 <laughs> but yeah, um, I thought this cast was really incredible. Betty Buckley was Dr. Karen Fletcher in Split. And mm-hmm. PJ Souls is the one who's always wearing the baseball cap. Mm, yeah. She, Even at the prom. Yeah. She was in Stripes. That's how I knew her. I'm like, who is this? Woman? I don't think I've seen Stripes. Uh, but she was also in The Devil's Rejects, which I haven't seen, but I know that's that a pretty... Oh, maybe we should watch that one. Yeah, put that on the list. And Edie McClurg was the oldest member of the cast. Most of the cast was about 25, and I think she was 30. So, <laughs> you, <laughs> but, And even the 25-year-old. Yeah. Like, I mean, uh, Tommy Ross is very, very cute, but you look at that face and it's like, that boy is 16. 18 17 like no <laughs> that, that's a man who pays taxes <laughs> yeah and i mean john travolta 
I, I mean, king king of playing characters far younger than he should be. <laughs> I, I I read that he just sort of walked over from the set of Welcome Back, Cotter, and auditioned. So, yeah, but he looks so cute. Oh my gosh, it is very it's fucking dreamy. It's so weird. I know, knowing <laughs> knowing now, if I knew then what I know now, exactly. <laughs> well, we start the movie with shy 16-year-old Carrie White, who is, I mean, Sissy Spacek is adorable and very, very cute, but they definitely try to uh, homely her up a little bit. She's got like, you know, long red hair, freckles out the wazoo, and just wears like something you'd get at like a Goodwill. Actually, I think she looks really cute, to be honest. Like the first outfit she wears is this cute little sailor like collar thing with a bow. I think that's adorable, but... So, yeah, we start off and she's she's not starting off well with school. She's got a fanatically religious mother named Margaret who everyone like it's kind of like that's Margaret. She's really unpopular at school. And she like the movie opens with this, you know, school shot. I mean, it's good that all of these actors are well in their 20s because you just see so much um, uh, just full body nudity. But, but you know, I think if there's a way to do it tastefully. It's kind of tasteful. I mean, you are looking at a women's locker room of supposed teenagers, so that's not great. But so she's showering and she's kind of having a lovely, relaxing time in the shower. But then we see her. She starts bleeding. She's had her first period, but she has no idea what a period is, doesn't know what's going on. And I mean, I really think if you can putting yourself in her shoes, that would be absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Um, and I can't blame her for being as scared as she is. Um, like she has the blood on her hands and, and leaves the shower naked and is going up to people like, what, like help, help. Cause she's so scared and it's really sad. But then her classmates start laughing and humiliating her. They're like, what? You never had a period before. And they're throwing tampons at her and they go, plug it up, plug it up. I mean, she's crying and cowering in the corner of the shower and they're just throwing things at her. It's really sad. So Ms. Collins, the gym teacher, intervenes and she tells them all to leave and she's like, you know, grabs Carrie and Carrie's like, Sissy Spacek does a great job also of just being so inconsolable, kind of in like a grotesque way, if that makes sense. Like you can, because even, even the teacher says like, I kind of understand why, why the kids are so frustrated with her because you just want to shake her and go like, Carrie, like it's not that big of a deal. But what they're not understanding is she has like no friends, only has this crazy fucked up mom and needs a lot more help than that. So Miss Collins, you know, helps Carrie out. She gets dismissed from school for the day. The principal keeps calling her Cassie. So she just really feels very ignored. After she's home, <laughs> fucking Margaret tells her that, well, the menstruation was actually caused by sin. And locks her up in this prayer closet that uh, Carrie very much does not want to go to and tells her to pray for forgiveness. So fucked up. And she also is saying, it's so great. She's like, you should have told me, mama. You should have told me. And it's just so sad. So at school, Ms. Collins, to be, I really respect the teacher in this movie. Ms. Collins is so like, that was fucked up. She takes all of the girls who were in gym and punishes them with a week long detention. And she says anyone who skips will be suspended for three days 
and barred from the upcoming prom. Oh my god. Which is the oh, you can't they the girls are like, you can't do this. <laughs> and you know, she just lets them know, like, I don't think you all know how horrible of a thing you did was, blah, 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 blah. Biggest, biggest of the bullies, Chris, Christine Chris Hargensen, who fucking hates the shit out of Carrie. She's like, well, you can't do this, and I'm not doing it. And she leaves, knowing that her time at the prom will be over. So she, (laughs) there's this great scene of she's riding around with her boyfriend, Billy Nolan, a.k.a. John Travolta, in her car. And they are a horrible couple. Um, (laughs) She keeps calling him a stupid shit, so he slaps her. And he's like, I told you not to call me that. And, And she just keeps kind of degrading him, but then also he keeps hitting her. Then they get to a stop and she, you know, begins to just like, I guess she gets very sexual with him. You know, she's like, I need you to do something for me. And, you know, he's kind of like, oh, okay. She's like, I hate Carrie White. (laughs) Which is like, she says this as she's like going down on him. It's so weird. This woman has a hate boner. So he brings her and a bunch of their cronies to this farm and they kill some pigs to drain their blood into a bucket norma who is uh chris's best friend and a prominent figure that's the one with the baseball cap right yeah Mm -hmm. she plans to rig the prom queen election to get to make sure carrie gets put on stage so sue snell who we did see in the beginning sequence she's a very very remorseful classmate she asks her handsome and popular boyfriend mr tommy ross to invite carrie to the prom now This is, I guess, a nice idea, but I'm just so, watching this over again, I'm so overcome with like, you know what, Sue Snell, maybe instead of like, because you are deceiving her, you are deceiving her, as much as you say you're not, you are, just go be Carrie's friend. That's too big of a deal, I guess. (laughs) So you can't just go over and be like, hey, Carrie, want somebody to eat with at lunch? Hey, Carrie, want somebody to study with? I'm just thinking like, you could have avoided this whole thing by just, just trying to be her friend. I get what she was trying to do, but like, also there's, this makes me, this reiterates to me that I, Stephen King does not know what women want and does not know what women are like, that he thinks that like, I just feel like any normal female would just be like, oh, let me be this girl's friend instead of let me pimp out my boyfriend to go pretend to be her boyfriend. Like, I do think most women would just want a female friend in that case. Well, I agree with you. I I wasn't clear that she was doing it as a nice gesture. I thought that she was kind of part of this whole group to, you know, who are working together. And maybe she didn't know about the blood, but, you know, I don't, I don't know. I think she thought she was doing a nice thing. In the 2013 version, which I watched about half of, it, that character, that Sue Snell, is very nice. And she's doing it out of the goodness of her heart. But I, I think this one is trying to do that, too. Okay. I, maybe I just misread the cues. But I thought she was bad, just not as bad as... I think she... Because she's the one who also tells Chris to cut it out. Like, like while they're while they're being punished by, you know, Miss... Um, Colin she's she's like Chris just just shut up you know um so I think she is genuinely thinks she's doing something good yeah um and I mean and Tommy is a very sweet guy like he doesn't really get it but he's like you know what it's fine we don't I don't care 
Yes. So she asked Tommy to invite Carrie to the prom. Carrie initially thinks it's a prank, but he keeps insisting that it's genuine and kind of, I mean, she does end up having a nice time with Tommy, but he does kind of back her into a corner. He goes to her fucking house with her crazy ass mom and Carrie's like, you literally cannot be here. And Tommy's like, well, I'm not leaving until you say yes. And she's like, fine, fine. Yes, just go. So that is weird. But again, I guess it was the 70s. So that's romantic. <laughs> so so Carrie go talks to goes and talks to Mrs. Collins. Mrs. Collins reassures her and tells her, you know, it's a really sweet scene where she puts her in front of a mirror and she's like, Carrie, you're beautiful. You know, just, you know, maybe if we put a little bit of curl in your hair, put some mascara on, like, you know, really dress you up. You're going to have a fun time. And Miss Collins goes and talks to Sue Snell and Tommy Rawson is like, what the fuck are you doing? But they insist we are just trying to be nice. So she also keeps also what we've learned a little bit here and there is that Carrie has telekinesis. She when she's really upset, she can kind of make things move or explode. And she's been kind of researching a little bit more now that she's gaining a little bit of confidence, too. When she goes to tell her mom that she's going to the prom, Margaret's like, well, they're going to laugh at you. Carrie's wearing the most darling pink dress and her mom's like, wearing red, just like, you know, a whore. She's like, it's pink, mama. (laughs) (laughs) Margaret's like, you know, I'll just tell, I'll just tell Tommy Ross that you don't want to go. You know, they're all going to laugh at you. You know, you really shouldn't go. But she tells her mom, she's like, you stay here and don't say anything until I get back home. And she says, and things are going to change around here, which I mean, good for Carrie, but also this whole situation is just not great. And Margaret denounces her as a witch as she leaves with Tommy. So during the prom, Chris and Billy hide under the stage and have set up pig's blood at the top of the of the stage. Carrie and Tommy are are actually having a pretty nice time. He keeps reassuring her like she won't dance, but Miss Collins talks to her and Tommy talks to her and he he gives her a little kiss at one point and it's very sweet. Oh, and there, when it's time to vote, she's like, well, who should we vote for? And he says, well, let's vote for us. And she's like, no, no, we can't do that. And he convinces her it's okay. It's just very cute. Well, unfortunately, it all comes to an end because they win prom king and queen because of the rigged votes. They go up to accept the, you know, the crown. Carrie's got her bouquet. She's feeling really great. Tommy gives her a kiss on the cheek and she actually feels accepted. Sue arrives just to kind of watch and like, you know, she's she's happy for them, wants to be a part of it. Her It's a great yeah. scene where she's hiding behind and she notices that there's this rope. She follows her eyes. You know, we follow her as she looks up and sees the blood and then looks down and discovers Chris and Billy. She goes over in the midst of all this is happening kind of in slow-mo. She goes and tries to get them, but Mrs. Collins sees her and thinks she's up to no good, takes her and throws her out of the gym. But right then and there is when Chris pulls the lever and a bunch of blood gets splashed on Carrie and everybody goes silent. All you see is like, it's totally silent. Tommy looks shocked and he looks angry. Like who, who starts saying like, who did this? The bucket falls and hits him on the head. Nobody except for the people involved in the prank are laughing. Like the girl with the baseball cap, she, it's this great moment where she's like, like looks around and just points and laughs, but nobody is actually like, it's not, everybody's shocked, but Carrie, who's obviously having the worst day of her life is starts hallucinating and thinking that everybody's laughing at her, which I think is very real. I actually really do like this scene because 
I at least have a tendency to do this. You might hear somebody laugh or something while you're feeling anxious and walking. Somebody behind you laughs and immediately your brain just thinks, oh, they're laughing at me. Well, no, they were laughing at a joke their friend said, you know, and I just think it's easy to spiral into that as well. But if you have telekinetic powers and don't know what to do with them, (laughs) this might happen. So she shuts the doors of the gym. Chris and Billy actually leave just in time. And she (laughs) she opens up like this fire hose, starts injuring several party goers with the hose, sprays the overhead lights sets the gym on fire, electrocutes the principal and another person, like another teacher person. She crushes Mrs. Collins with a falling basketball backboard and she leaves. Sue Snell is just watching the whole thing. So Carrie walks home. Chris and Billy attempts to run her over with Billy's car. She senses them and causes their car to swerve. It flips and it turns and explodes and they die. So Carrie goes home. She doesn't see her mom anywhere. There's actually a real, it's a really great moment where Carrie goes up to the attic and we actually see it doesn't, because before this, all of the scary moments had been accompanied by me, me, but they actually don't have any emphasis on it. Just you notice that her mom's hiding behind the, the shadow of the door and Carrie, she, it's actually a really kind of cool sequence. She bathes and gets all of the blood off of her and puts on a nightgown and her mom reveals herself, you know, from the, from the door and she goes, please hold me, mama. Like they laughed at me and, and all these things. And her mom holds her. Her mom goes on this whole, you know, as she's telling her mom this and before her mom stabs her, her mom goes through this whole monologue, which is really great. One of the best parts of the movie where she's saying that she and, and Carrie's father, like never, you know, meant to sin. They would pray every night, but then one night she smelled whiskey on his breath and they, they sat down and they prayed about it, but then he took her and she liked it. And it was sinful. And that's what made Carrie and the devil has brought, you know, the devil has come home to roost all this stupid, crazy shit. And (laughs) so Margaret then comforts Carrie, stabs her in the back. Carrie falls down the stairs and she begins to chase Carrie around with a knife. So Carrie levitates. She kind of crucifies her mom with these sharp objects and then sends a bunch of sharp objects flying just into Margaret as well. She then like cries and holds her mother and destroys the house and the house crushes both of them. So Sue now is the only survivor of the prom and she's dealing with the trauma of what she's experienced laying in bed. She has a nightmare which she's wearing this beautiful white gown and goes to lay flowers on the charred remains of the Carrie White home. And there's a sign, a for sale sign vandalized and it says Carrie White burns in hell. Suddenly Carrie's arm grabs her arm And she's like, it's not happening in real life, but she's, you know, going, having like a panic attack and screaming. And it's kind of, it's a little bit funny because right beforehand, the doctor had just told her mom like, well, you know, she's so young, so she's probably just going to forget all about it. (laughs) So we see two seconds later, uh, no, she's very fucked up. And that's the end of Carrie. The last we see of Sue is, you know, she's insane, you know, in her mother's arms. And I think that's just like so chilling. Yeah. Um, and she's, yeah, she's fucked forever. Yeah. And it's kind of like when we were talking about let the right one in and, and the vampire had left that one blonde kid. Yes. <laughs> you know? And it's like, well, he's fucked. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Sue's fucked too. But I mean, the prom scene is really amazing. amazing. There's so many cool things. Like you pointed out the camera following Sue's eyes up the rope. 
But what about Tommy and Carrie dancing and that yeah. like swirling and it gets faster and faster? What did you think about that one? I loved that too. I mean, I, I loved their whole, I don't know. I, I, it's so, it's so sad because Tommy is really actually trying to be good. And there, there's people in this movie who are really trying to do her good foisted by obviously the bullies and Carrie's own mom and like it's just such a tragedy and I I feel like that scene kind of does a good job with that because it's like this is all so much so soon and probably for somebody who's been like a shut in her whole life first big night out probably shouldn't be the senior prom like there's many mistakes made but you know they were made with good intentions but I mean, like, that would be fucking scary if you've never been anywhere and now you got to go where all your bullies are and like where you've never felt accepted. Yeah. With the, And you would feel weird with the cutest guy in school. Like you would feel weird. She's not stupid and she does feel weird knowing that she even tells Ms. Collins like, well, I know who he goes with, you know, like, and that's Sue Snell. And she was part of the girls who traumatized me. So I don't know. Just poor Carrie. Yeah. So Letterboxd had a lot of interesting things to say. Mike Prisick gave it five stars and said a happy-go-lucky teen farce from 1976. <laughs> <laughs> like Charlie that. gave it four, so- four stars and said iconic. Imagine watching this at the cinema in 1976. What the fuck? Honestly, <laughs> I mean, like that, it's it's referenced so many times because it's so iconic. Also, the scene of just her walking covered in all of that blood and like the picture Sissy Spacek makes of like, cause she's also very tall and very thin and kind of like wayfish and like her just walking with like her hands down, just drenched all in red. I mean, it's iconic. Danielle Lou camp gave it four and a half stars and said, Carrie the best, the most utterly heartbreaking films ever made an enduring and frightening portrait of teen angst, religious fanaticism and supernatural powers. <laughs> Keenan gave it three and a half stars and says the feel good movie of 1976 all of Carrie White's dreams come true when her crush Tommy Ross mm-hmm. asks her to the senior prom if you have a soft spot for romance this movie is for you <laughs> <laughs> so we got a jokester yeah <laughs> and Monival gave it a uh, gave it five stars and said because of Brian De Palma's interest in a film adaptation to one of Stephen King's novels and some of the most interesting direction I've seen the film delivers Carrie 1976 shows a lot of care for the horror genre and carries what's probably the most tragic and depressing storyline in any storytelling in any horror movie. That's not true. I feel like horror movies have plenty of sadder uh, stories, but or I mean, like saying something sadder, but I mean, I would say a lot of horror movies have depressing storytelling. There's that one the incident at Ghostland. I don't think you've seen it, but mm-hmm. uh, oh, you have. Okay, I did watch that. Yeah, because the martyrs people made that, right? Yeah, yeah, that one was really I sad. Mean, that, I mean, it's a pretty tragic. Well, that one's story. Uh, pretty, pretty as uh, scary and sad. <laughs> but I so Brian De Palma loves a split diopter shot, and I sent you in the in the document just some examples of that, where you have somebody in the foreground, but. And they're very large mm-hmm. um, on the left-hand side. And then somebody's in the background, but they're still in focus. Mm-hmm. So he fucking loves the shot. And he used it <laughs> over and over and over again. And then the one with the owl is from mm-hmm. a movie called Blowout, which mm. was Nancy Allen and John Travolta. And mm-hmm. it's sort of a play on blow up. 
Remember that movie from the 60s? Yeah. This is Blowout, and it's John Travolta, like, accidentally records, like, a murder or something. So, but I love that owl shot. That's amazing. Really Um, cool. You guys, whoa, look it up if you don't know what I'm talking about. And then I also, we can go through the trivia, but I also included Gustave Moreau's 1851 painting, The Study of Lady Macbeth. And, Mm. you know, uh, De Palma had had uh, Sissy Spacek in that same pose. And that's pretty cool. Um, I I have some problems with De Palma, but I mean, he does have a really cool eye. Mm -hmm. Did you want to talk about the trivia? Sure. So... Carrie spawned a sequel, a made-for-TV remake, a 2013 reboot, and two musical adaptations. There's also, Never... there's also a 2002 reboot. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, uh, the, I saw that 2013 reboot in theaters. It's, all right. One of the most memorable shots in the film occurs during the prom scene in which Carrie's vertiginous mental state is depicted with a dizzying camera work. The shot was achieved by setting the two actors, Spacek and William Cat, on a platform that rotated in one direction while the camera tracks in the opposite direction. That's really neat. That's so cool. The iconic prom scene took two weeks and roughly 35 takes to create. Corn syrup was used for the gallons of pig's blood the bullying teens dump on Carrie. Let's see. The name of the high school is Bates High in (laughs) reference to Norman Bates from Psycho. And in addition, the four-note violin theme from Psycho is used over and over in the film. E.D. McClurg was 30 years old at the time. Yeah, like you said, the oldest cast member. She is almost exactly two years older than Betty Buckley, who played her gym teacher. (laughs) (laughs) Why not just hire somebody younger at that point? Um, In a 2010 interview with the AV Club, P.J. Soul said that Steven Spielberg often came to the set at Brian De Palma's invitation because De Palma told him that there were a lot of cute girls down here. Ew. Ew. Soul said that Spielberg asked out most of the women on set, souls included. Gross. And Amy Irving was the only one who accepted. Irving and Spielberg were married from 1989 and had one son together. Christ. (laughs) Yeah, put some more in the Spielberg is a total fucking creep column. Yeah, Jesus Christ. See, okay, and now I take back everything I said. Not... None of the breast shots were remotely respectable. Um, if you refer to the women acting on your set like that while making them be nude on in a movie, fuck you. I think I think uh, SpaceX part though was filmed just by herself. That's good. So there was at least that. Yeah. In the second to last scene, where Amy Irving leaves flowers on Carrie's grave. To make it more eerie, the shot was filmed backwards, then ran in reverse in slow-mo to give it a surreal effect. This is evidenced by a background automobile traversing the perpendicular intersection backwards, which the viewer can clearly observe as driving in reverse. I didn't even catch that. I rewound it, and it's true. (laughs) Yeah. When Carrie's mother meets her demise, she's stabbed multiple times. For this scene, the knife started off in Margaret's body before being pulled out by a string. Oh. When editing the scene, they played the footage in reverse to achieve the look of knives flying towards Margaret. I like that. That was pretty cool. cool. I love, like, when you find out how stuff was actually done. Yeah. I just love the fuck out of that. I wish more stuff like that was done then. Like, I think CGI can be really, really good, mm-hmm. but I think creative stuff like that, like, there's... there. 
you can't underestimate the effect of actually showing the thing, you know, and that makes it feel real to the viewer in like even a subconscious way. I mean, I really enjoyed watching this. I, I don't remember the last time I'd seen it. When I was a kid, we had HBO because we were very rich. Oh, that's not true. But <laughs> and I, I, you know, I saw commercials for this movie and, you know, it was big at the time, as mm-hmm. I recall. And it seemed very scary to me. I did read the novel. It's I think it's pretty good. My, my memory of it is that it's pretty good. And I knew at the time that I read it, it was his first novel. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I would recommend that, I suppose. So I didn't have a rating. I mean, the obvious choice is Buckets of Pig's Blood. But how would we rate this, Mac? Hmm. Maybe four Buckets of Pig's Blood. I, again, I take qualm with the original story because... I feel like I can say this as someone who's read many Stephen King novels. The man writes coming of age stories for boys the best and women. Mm-mm. So I much enjoy Thelma as like a, a whole movie, I think, yeah. than I do Carrie. And kind of watching Thelma made me realize the things that I kind of feel don't make sense about Carrie. But I do still think the movie's great. And I think obviously you can't downplay how iconic it is one thing is i do like piper laurie as the mom but she's amazingly over the top i mean yes and, and i i don't know um stallan skarsgård who isn't the last word on this but he said there's no such thing as overacting just insincere acting and i feel like She's just a little too much. Now, I read, I don't know if this is true, I read that she thought it was a black comedy. (laughs) (laughs) And De Palma kept having to tell her, no, no, it's a horror film. (laughs) I I really, I think like her being so dramatic, like, it kept me going a little bit in the movie. So I really like it. Like, I I was sitting there thinking like, because... I feel like if you're going to have a character who obviously is just bad, I guess, like, there's nothing good about Margaret. Like, Mm -hmm. fuck Margaret. She ruined Carrie's life, I think. But it's like, I still love to see her on on camera, though, because I just was like, you crazy bitch. What are you going to say? Yeah. Yeah. And kind of like like Catherine O'Hara in Beetlejuice. Yeah. Where it's like, that's a pretty detestable. I mean, not not as not like Margaret, obviously, but like. But um, she's, yeah, she's really big. She's, she's, she's a fucked up character, but she's so great. Like, because she's just so, you're like, you bitch. Yeah. And I didn't watch the 2002 version, so I don't know what the cast is for that one. But Julianne Moore did not pull it off. Mm-mm. She no, wasn't, no, 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 no. I mean, Piper Laurie is like menacing, you know. Well, in- he- the great scene where she goes to talk to, I love that they included this. This feels like a scene that could have been a deleted scene. And I'm glad they kept it in. When she talks with the other mom, is it Sue Snell's mom? Um, and you just kind of get the, like Sue Snell's mom literally gives her money to leave the house. Like that's how uncomfortable she is around her. And I love that they showed that, that it's like, listen, like this woman's not doing Carrie any favors. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. That was really good. Because if we only just saw her in the house with Carrie, it wouldn't be the same. But knowing that she's sort of the town kook, 
you know, helps to sort of round out the picture. Yeah. And she, and when she's talking to her mom, you know, she's at first, the mom thinks she's talking about like, oh, Carrie has the same class as Sue. Like maybe, and she's like, no, no, I came to talk about the Lord, you know? And so she doesn't even care about Carrie, you know? Um, that's what makes it so tragic. I don't know if you've ever watched the Merlin BBC, uh, show, but it, it has a, one of, one great story that it depicts is Uther and Morgana. Uther's played by, um, our friend, friend of the show, Anthony Head. Um, oh, he's yeah. so cute. Love him so much. He is such a great actor because Uther's such a detestable character, but I love to see him on screen. But it's just great because he basically poisons Morgana's entire life just by being her father because it affects everything about her. And I feel like I stories like that are so tragic. And I feel like Carrie's a very similar one where it's just like, Honestly, the biggest issue isn't even the bu- like the bullies are bad, obviously, but it's like it's the mom. The mom's the worst person in Carrie's life who made all of this possible. Yeah. I mean, telling your daughter that you know she's. <laughs> I, I mean, you're right. Like the the whole the whole opening scene with the the period and she doesn't have any idea what it is would be completely terrifying, and I'm sure it was not an uncommon thing. No, um, even into the seventies, for people, for women, not to know what the fuck was going on, because you know, it, it, I mean, I think, it, I hope it's different today in most places. But <sighs> anyway, so and then to be told that that all happened because you're a sinner, or the fact that you have breasts is like, you know, a manifestation yeah. of your sin. It's like, what the fuck? She's like, you know, they'll, they'll all be able to see your pillows. And she's like, they're called breast mama. Every woman has them. <laughs> like, poor Carrie. It's like, it's a wonder she's even able to say that to her mom mm-hmm. after all this shit. Yeah. Yeah. I and- feel like that's what this movie really has in common, too, is like, like parents who have psychic kids who then fuck <laughs> them up. Right. Um, do the worst thing possible you could do with those psychic kids. Yeah. What have we learned from Carrie? Talk to your children about things that they will experience with their bodies. Mm-hmm. I I was thinking of this while in the restroom. You you can cut it if you want, but I I was thinking about the time when you told me about periods. It was very funny because I think I was nine, and uh, I do not think that's too early at all. Um and you were, you asked me, do you know what periods are? But I had never heard of menstruation or anything like that. So I thought you meant school periods. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I know what they are. And, I, but then as you began to describe it, I was like, I don't. <laughs> Wait, I don't know what this is. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, just as a, uh, you might be wondering, well, how, how, how did you view periods as now a trans person? Well, at the time when I was younger, I just saw things very logically. And so I was thinking like, I'm pretty sure like everybody says I'm like a girl, but like, I didn't think that I was like, that's really weird. Cause like, I kind of thought I was like a guy, but so then to me, I was like, okay, you get your period. And I'm like, that's confirmation. Yeah. I know for sure. I'm a girl. I can stop worrying about all this other stuff. So I was like hoping that it would come and all my friends who would get their period. I'd be like, you're so lucky. 
You're so lucky. And then when I got mine, I was like, I know. And I didn't know why you were so happy because we didn't have the language to talk to each other about you being yeah. trans at that point. So yeah, I think you were 11 when it actually mm-hmm. happened and you just bounded into my room and was like, yes. And I was like, oh my God. Because, I mean, my situation obviously wasn't as bad as Carrie's was, but I was 10 and my mom basically locked herself in her room. Like she didn't want to deal with it. And I was completely confused. And so her friend told me about like sanitary pads and stuff. But I was like, I don't understand what's happening. Like, I don't really, I really don't understand what's happening. And, um, but yes. Talk to your kids. Talk to them early. Make it not scary. Make it normal. Yeah. Like, I I don't know. I, I'm, I'm so sorry that you had that experience. And it obviously translated into I then had completely not that experience. And I'm so glad because having a period is uh, bad enough. Having to menstruate, not fun, would not recommend. Um, <laughs> so... To not be, to, to be totally just like, I know exactly what this is. I know exactly what's happening to me right now is like, everybody should have that experience. Yeah. And likewise, I have no idea what it's like to go through puberty as a boy. But, you know, so many fucking weird things happen to boys' bodies. And, and also just the hormones and the thoughts. And the, oh my God, the mood swings, Mac, your mood swings were insane. (laughs) They were real. I think I blocked that out. (laughs) Yeah. So all that stuff, it's all, it's obviously, Wohos, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably, you know, but I mean, it's normal. There's no, there's no harm in talking to your kids about it. Because it's like, what, what the fuck is too early? It's like, well, they, if I, if. Some kids get their periods when they're nine and it has happened to younger people too. So it's like, no, it's completely normal. I have not seen turning red, but I have seen that that there have been people complaining because it it just explicitly discusses menstruating. And it's like the girl in that movie is 13. And it's like, but but it's like there's nothing how could it corrupt your your child by talking about periods? It's like, because you would be stunned at the amount of information that I, I've talked to some cis men about what they think the, uh, I'm just going to use female as in like vagina and like ovaries and stuff, like what the female anatomy is. And you would just be amazed at what they do not know. Yeah. And I'm not saying that everybody needs intimate knowledge of what other genitalias do, but it's like, I mean, like, People should know what what is real, you know, and our our certainly my um sex education at school was horrible. If I did not have you as my mom, I wouldn't know anything, honestly, because th- we skipped it in school. They skipped everything about STDs. Our sex education was abstinence only, and that's that's criminal. Like if you do that, you are not doing kids any favors. You're actually actively hurting them. And I remember I had a girl who was a friend of mine, senior year. So we're 18, 17, 18. And she says to me, like, so, like, so earnestly and seriously, she's like, Mac, I'm dating a boy right now. One day, what if we have sex? I don't know what a penis looks like. And, you know, she's like about to go to college. 
And I was like, well, j- Google it. You know, I was like, <laughs> first off, I was like, I don't know what to do with this. But I was like, well, you, can't you just like look it up in a book or something? And she was like, I'm so scared. And it's like, this girl should not be feeling like, and she was just saying that her parents don't let her talk about it. They didn't talk to her at all about it. It was banned from being talked about. And it's like, great. Now your daughter's scared of a penis, you know? And it's like, like only because she has no idea what the fuck's going on, you know? And that just should never happen. Yeah. It's, I mean, I know that it's a problem in North Carolina because when I talk about abortion with my ethics students, I will ask them, how long do you think uh, surgical abortion takes? And one kid said, two hours. I didn't know until I Googled it. Because like one time I genuinely was just curious. I Googled what happens and I was never taught in school. And it actually, it made me feel so much better because I was so scared of like, it would be this whole, you know, invasive horrible thing and i had no idea what the actual process was like yeah it's really man i mean we've obviously seen you and i have obviously seen firsthand you know the damage that can result from from religiosity from like oh boy have i seen it yeah it's pretty bad but back to carrie would we watch it again yeah yeah Definitely. I will be watching it again, for sure. <laughs> Did you have a favorite scene or favorite death? Hmm. I mean, I really... I love any... I think Sissy Spacek does such a good job. And I think she... I think she does really well of... And I. this is like no disrespect to Sissy Spacek. I mean this with all the love in my heart. It's like she really is... Can be a unique looking person because she's so ginger. People who have white, basically white eyelashes, it's like, you're going to look kind of different because if you do put on mascara also, like, I don't know if you've seen super ginger people when they wear some mascara, but it's like, it can look good or it can look bad. It can look kind of weird. Like, it's just a different, like, complexion having a bunch of freckles and being super redhead. I don't know. I feel like it is a unique, like, appearance and... That's all. That's almost why I think the Carrie movie, the newer one, doesn't work because, again, it's not that I'm saying that Sissy Spacek, but it's like Chloe Moretz is a very to me. It's like I could just see her be popular in school. Whereas when they kind of really home lead up Sissy Spacek and she's being really scrungly and kind of like, kind of you know, a weirdo because she is yeah awkward and weird. It's like you kind of not that you not that it's okay. But it just makes sense that there'd be a contingency of cool kids that are like, this girl's weird and we don't like her. Well, people suck. We've already established that, you yes. know. And, you know, kids suck. Everybody sucks, you know, yeah. in some way. And we are afraid of what's different than what we're used to. And often we're just assholes about it. And so I totally get what you're saying. Chloe Moretz is too beautiful for and that. Cool. And she's cool. Yeah. She's just, <laughs> and it, that one just didn't work. I guess when SpaceX like auditioned for the part, she put Vaseline in her hair and she, wow. you know, she like really, for her. she wanted the role, you know, and she really worked at it. And I, she was married to somebody who worked on the movie who suggested her for the role because De Palma wanted Amy Irving. Mm, that wouldn't have worked. That so, totally wouldn't work. So I think maybe he was a director of photography or he was something, some big guy. 
on the set. He said, how about my wife, Sissy Spacek? <laughs> you know, and um, she auditioned. I, yeah, she she did. Uh, I mean, I can't imagine anybody else, really. No. She just, she eats the role up. It's mm-hmm. just, it's amazing. And that that part of it feels so real to me. Yeah. Yeah. I think she's perfectly cast. Mm-hmm. Telma is a 2017 Norwegian supernatural thriller drama film, which tells the story of a sheltered young woman who discovers she has an inexplicable power that materializes when she feels desire for a woman student at her university. It was directed by Joachim Trier, who incidentally was a skateboarding champion when he was a teenager. Good for you. <laughs> the screenplay was by Joachim Trier and Eskiel Vogt, and they have worked together, I think, on all of Trier's films. Mm. It stars Ellie Harbo, um, Kaya Wilkins, also known by her singing name as OK Kaya. A great name. She's a Norwegian American actress slash musician, and I think this was her first role. It might be her only role today. So this is this is Anya. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she she looks like a musician. Heinrich Raffelson is the father, and Ellen Dorit Peterson is the mother. And I know her from I don't know him from. Um, I don't know him. Yeah, I I don't know him. <laughs> No, but have you I, ever there's this great Mariah Carey moment where they asked her about another I don't know remember who it was, but another big female singer and she goes, I don't know her. <laughs> like smiling. <laughs> <laughs> I think these two do just so good. Um yes. I I recognized Ellen Dorit Peterson from Borderliner, also known as Grenseland. Can I say something that is like totally I'm kind of exposing a part of my personal life here, but it's just, I feel like it's going to drive a point home. This the energy that these two bring of parents is so good and her especially, so many shots of her probably cuz she's blonde but just reminded me so much of my current stepmother. Um oh. not listen, she's not evil. If you're listening to this stepmom, um there's nothing wrong with you, okay? But it's just like the vibes are the exact same of just like I don't like you. Like that's just the vibe you get from this mom the whole time. Oh yeah. But it's never said outright, but I just think she does it perfectly. Yeah, I mean, the story is revealed over time very natural way. Yeah. In a very creative way. It was released on the 20th of August 2017. And it has a running time of 116 minutes. Okay. As per, I like chronicled the whole damn movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Well, let's talk about the opening opening scene, okay. which some people have said. There are a lot of reviews on YouTube uh, done by people who fucking hated this movie. I really? know. I was surprised. I loved it. So one one guy, I don't I don't remember who they were, but this one guy said that this scene was good, but the rest of the film couldn't live up to this opening scene. Homophobic. No, I'm just kidding. 
of course a man said that. <laughs> well, it, I most I have well most of the reviewers on YouTube are men, but yes, mm-hmm. most of the negative reviews were from men. Not all. Interesting. That spooky astronaut girl from Australia, she was kind of lukewarm. The opening I'm I really like this movie a lot. I love it. And I I've sort of had a relationship just today with it, <laughs> just thinking about it because I saw it a little while ago, but the opening scene we see dad and his little daughter i think she's about 6 and they're walking on this frozen lake and that gave me all kinds of nostalgia because i grew up in wisconsin and <laughs> i've walked on frozen lakes and i don't know it's just a special thing but under the ice there are these fishes that are sort of that was so swimming. cool so really cool then they're in this really snowy woods like you have never seen a woods this snowy before <laughs> Anyway, they're walking through this heavy, heavy snow, and there's a two shot with the daughter and the dad, and and she's in front of her dad, so she doesn't see that he goes from pointing the gun at the deer that's in front of them to pointing it at the back of her head. And I don't think I'll ever forget that. That was just yeah. like so shocking. It was so like, oh, it's a great opening scene. It's, yeah. it, it just sets you like... Holy shit. And I just feel like the the way that they do these parents, I feel like is so good and so much more realistic than as much as I love the Margaret, you know, as uh, much as I love her. It's like, this is more like what really fucked up. I mean, obviously, I don't want to d- downplay anybody's experience, but in just in my experience, of also being around my friends, parents, or just any adults that are weird. It's like, it's this <laughs> silent misgiving that almost is more <laughs> rancid because you you don't even get a real thing to point at. So you kind of feel a little bit crazy, but it's there. Because knowing that he's pointed a gun at this little girl, like any interaction they have after that, you're just so sus. And I just, I love that they do that because I don't feel like they're ever outwardly like, and to hell with you, Hellion. You know, it's much more quiet. Oh, yeah. But that to me is more realistic. It's really staggering. Then he moves the gun and you get a wider three shot of the girl, the deer, and the dad. But, oh, my gosh. Amazing. Yeah. And um, the deer runs away. And she looks back at her dad. It's almost, And I, you know, having seen it now twice you know that i'll be like why didn't you shoot that deer that look back is kind of interesting yeah but then we shoot fast forward into the future and we get this god shot the camera moves from the right to the left the last shot will move from the left to the right but talma's in college and her parents are just overly involved in her schedule what she's cooking for dinner you know, so exhausted. There's this moment where, you know, they're like, why, why didn't you call back at this one time? She was like, oh, well, I was in English lecture. And her mom's like, well, it's Tuesday, actually. And you have it Monday. And I was like, oh, my God, like that gave me like a visceral reaction. <laughs> because like, I'm very lucky in that I've never had anybody hounding my schedule like that. But it's like, I definitely had friends with parents who were like that. And to me, the whole thing about college is always supposed to represent, you know, like, going like you know you're leaving the nest and doing something new and can you imagine for a character like this who's been experiencing this her whole life the one time she has freedom she doesn't i like it because she's i don't know whatever she is 17 18 and 
to me, it seems like her lies are very easy, Mm -hmm. you know, like Mm -hmm. she, and I I don't know. The actress is so great. Um, I I included this. I I went to this website called montages.com and it's the international version of the magazine, but they do mostly Norwegian stuff. And they put this whole grid of all these different um, looks of this one mm-hmm. actress and all the expressions that she does. And she's a- amazing just in the stills, you can see it. But so she's, she's answering her parents' questions, but she's, you know, like annoyed, like, come on. <laughs> and I, somehow she expresses that. And I totally get it. And it's really cool. But we get the first indication that there's something amiss with her when she's in the computer lab and this girl, this very pretty girl sits next to her and these birds are swirling around outside and one of them hits the window. Now windows are super important. Glass, windows, ice, even like borders. Barriers. Barriers. That's what I'm thinking of. Barriers are super important to this, to this movie, but she's, she has a seizure in the middle of the computer lab. She goes to the doctor and he wants to run some tests, you know, send her to a specialist. And but she doesn't want her parents to know. So that's a little bit disturbing too, because this is like a a big like it was a really like shocking scene. You know, it's like it. This is like if you didn't tell somebody like <laughs> like the way that the student or the school like doctor says is like. We got to talk to your primary care physician, but like, we don't like, even they're kind of like, they don't say it, but you can just see in their faces like, what the fuck? This might be a very Norwegian thing. I feel like there's so many people in this movie, and I'm not saying it's just Norwegian. Obviously, Americans do this too, but it's just nobody says what they think, but it's all on Mm. their faces, you know? Mm. Um, But I think when she actually does begin to say what she thinks is the time when, you know, she and Anya connect but it seems like everybody is mostly just kind of like this is this is against the rules like you don't do it like that yeah (laughs) nobody ever says what the fuck's wrong with you and i mean there is this you know hipaa thing i'm sure they have something similar in norway where she's an adult and they don't have to they're not obligated to tell the parents it's just like that would be a natural thing to do Um, yeah and then there's this sort of dreamy sequence with the snake and it goes across this old woman's neck and we'll we'll realize that that's her grandma later. She goes back to the computer lab. She goes swimming. She runs into Anya. It's awkward because Anya is very, you know, self-possessed, but Telma sure isn't. But Anya sends her a Facebook friend request. That's kind of nice. Her dad knows about like her Facebook friend requests. That's so, ugh. Like, yeah, she has no, he's like, yeah, I see you're, you've been getting some new friends on Facebook. It's like, leave her alone. <laughs> I feel like it should be said, Anya is very, like, like, she's not being creepy at all. But no. I mean, she, she straight up, like, goes up and is like, we have a class together, so we should hang out. Like, you know, she's very, Thelma, obviously, she also is not seen talking with anybody. She's got no friends. She's only talking to her parents. So, I mean, this is somebody doing the hard work for her. And and that's like, nobody just does that. So it's sweet. Like, obviously, Anya's like interested in her as a person. I, I think so, too. 
and there's an interpretation of this film that is that Anya didn't have a choice in any of her behavior. So I do want to talk about that take on it, but there's a scene, her parents come to visit her. We realize the mom's in a wheelchair and they go out to dinner and there's a gay couple holding hands and Telma kind of looks at them and then like looks to her parents like, and so that was so efficient. You know, I love efficiency. So good. good. (laughs) I knew exactly what they were doing, but Telma starts talking about this person. She had a conversation with recently and the person believes the earth is 6,000 years old. And Mm -hmm. um, her dad's like, Oh, uh, so I, I guess you think you know better than everyone now. And the way he talks to her is just so it's written so well. And the actor just, you know, does so well with it. And, and Telma too, the actress who plays Telma, because it seems so real and it's so uncomfortable. It hurts. And it's so, it's so sad because it's like, they're, if you genuinely think that maybe somebody's being a little bit too harsh or something, there's just so many better ways to go about expressing that. But it's like, she completely shuts down and you can just see that it's like, all right, she's not going to talk. And that is so real too. I feel like young people, when, like when you're that young and you don't really know how anything works and you're consumed with your loneliness and sadness and stuff, it's like you you it, you can be a little bit petty too because you just have nothing really to give and you're really frustrated. And so you can just see she's kind of like, all right, I won't talk, you know? And that's just, I don't know, very, very real. And the way he says it makes, it, it's to make her feel ashamed of herself. Yes. And that's so fun. Like, why would you want, even if you're trying to convey a message, you don't need to do it like that. No, he's, he's so horrible. Mom like, doesn't help. She just oh, sits no. there. Mom is completely passive in this. But later, um, Telma confesses to her dad that sometimes she does think that she's smarter than other people. And sometimes she does think that she's prettier than other people. I loved this scene so much because it's like, the, and it is like, I don't like the dad. But I, I don't know. I would just hope that any kid can feel, I don't know, the way that, that they can express these kinds of feelings because, and you, I also just, it makes me love Telma so much as a character. Like I'm, you don't have to love every protagonist of a movie, but I really do love her. Like I connected a lot with her and that's not to say that I'm thinking this every day guys, but it's, it's that she's saying, okay, I hear you. But I do think these things sometimes like I'm just being real with myself and that she's actually listening to her brain. And I there's so much about mental health and so much about being true to yourself in this movie. And even that scene, I think, touches really well upon it of just like it's wrong to think that you'll never think bad things or that you'll never be or that you'll never think offensive things or anything like that. Like it's categorically wrong to deny that you will ever think those things and to like beat yourself with guilt Anytime you do, it's much better to try to understand where they come from and what to do next, you know? Yeah, but this relationship is so toxic. And oh, so, for sure. I mean, he's such poison to her. Yeah. And, you know, he's got a gentle face. And she even says later when she tells this horrific story to Anya, he's actually a very nice man. And that is such the like abused person's 
you know, response. Yeah. They know, you know, they know that this, the other person's an abuser, but if the other person's a family member, you don't want to say that. Well, and also I think it is confusing when you're, when it's, when people are emotionally, I mean, like, and he's physically abusive too, like, you know, with the fire, but it's like, like he's emotionally abusive, Mm -hmm. but it's never in the way of being like, again, that's something that she can point to and be like, well, yeah, he shouts and he yells at me. It's like, he says everything with a level headed tone, very kindly. Um, and he never says, I'm saying something bad to you, you know, like (laughs) here, let me tell you something bad. So it's like fucked up. Like it's one of those moments and that story is such a great moment too when she's saying that story to Anya and you just see Anya's face like because I feel like there can be times in your life where you have a moment like that where you're like you know this thing that we all do and the person you're talking to is like no no like I've had very many moments like that where I'm like I'm like haha right like this and the person I'm talking with is like are you okay <laughs> Because that wasn't normal. Me too. Oh my God. Like talking about my childhood, you know, just like when I used to. Yeah, that happened. Whatever. Like talk about it freely to strangers in a bar when I used to do that, you know, people would be like, oh my fucking God. But okay. So she, she starts to make friends with Anya, but one of the first things that happens is she ends up with this table at this table with Anya and her friends. And there's this boy who's sort of asking her like who she is, what's her deal? Why is she not drinking any alcohol? And she says, well, I'm Christian. And you know, that's the way I was brought up. And he goes, Oh yeah. Like Christianity is like a bunch of bullshit. Isn't it? Like, <laughs> I love this scene so much. Cause she's also not like annoying at all. Like no. just in. Okay. Also for, this is a, a PSA to everyone. If somebody at your table is not drinking, maybe just don't bring it up. Yeah. Like I, there's, I just re- truly for me, I just really don't drink. Um, But we had work happy hours all the fucking time. And it's like you, you, if you do not have a beer in your hand, it's the only question you get is like, Oh, wait, what's up? Not, not drinking. You don't like anything here. Oh, you don't like to drink. What's it's like, can I live? Like, I don't go up to people being like, oh, you like that? Oh, you like drinking that? It's like, leave people alone. It's like, I might not have anything going on with me, but it's like, you don't know anything about what anybody's going through. And I just, Um, but anyways. Also, can I just tack on to that PSA? How about never comment about what anyone's eating or not eating? Um, Please. I completely went off on this guy at work. I mean, I was under a lot of stress, but. Um, <laughs> you. he offered, he offered something sugary to me at Christmas time. And I politely said no. And he kept pushing it on me. And I said, no, thank you. And it was something like maple covered bacon or something. I think there was meat involved. And then somebody tried to intervene and said, you know, she could be a vegetarian. And then um, he goes, oh, is that the issue? Is that what it is? And I said, it's not polite to ask people, you know, what their, what their deal is. People have eating disorders. People have all kinds of things going on. So it just isn't polite when someone says, no, that's the end of the conversation. And I I like, just like did a, you know, thing turned on my heel, like walked out. I was just like so hot after that. Just like, like, leave me alone. Mind your own fucking business. 
So this whole conversation, the guy's like, yeah, so God, whatever, God's really stupid. And she's just sort of smiling at him. And then she says, well, you know, we don't know everything. And do you know how your mobile works? And that's a terrible argument, for one thing, but it'll come back around at the end of the movie. I mean, I was kind of like, you know, I people have made that argument to me about why you should believe in God, like, you don't know how electricity works. So yeah, you know, but you just trust that it does. And it's like, well, yeah, but there's just because I don't know. (laughs) I feel like she I feel like I get because she's not even saying like, like, and I think it's very interesting that they included that bit earlier about her being like, yeah, they think the world was created 6,000 right. years ago. Like, I think that's very interesting that they kept that because I feel like she's not even like saying you have to believe in God or this is why I believe in God. But she's just like, he's just like, you don't know, you know, you don't know. And yeah. that's why this is stupid. And so then she just easily just is like, oh, so you know everything about everything that you know about, you know, and it feels it's so polite, actually, yeah. I think like, I just, I, I'm not caping for any Christians, certainly. Uh, but this is probably the most polite. Because <laughs> like, I've had people sit sit me down and be like, saying some shit to me, but I do not think every Christian is like that. But I, I, I actually like really liked her in this argument here. I think she's just very like, well, do you know this? Mm-hmm. Like very polite. I mean, he does. And he, he's pretty obnoxious, you know, and he says, well, I know it's not God. I know that much, you know, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that that ties in to something at the end of the movie, which I, I like a whole lot the way they did that. But but Anya kind of looks at her and is kind of like, yeah, she has like kind of respect for her. Yeah. So anyway, there's dancing, there's flashing lights. Oh, yeah. BT dubs. I mean, I don't know how long we've been talking about this, but if you have. Um, if you are epileptic. If you, you are epileptic, yes, you should definitely shouldn't. You definitely shouldn't watch. I don't know. I think there's three or four scenes with like blinking lights, and it's sustained. And I don't have a seizure disorder, but there's, I looked away. There's still a warning <laughs> at the beginning of the movie, but there's a sort of courtship that starts to develop between Talma and Anya. They're smiling, 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 and then at one point, Talma can't sleep. Anya can't sleep. And then basically Anya ends up at Telma's place and she's sort of like, she doesn't know how she got there. She's almost texted me, right? (laughs) And Telma's like, no, No, but they, Anya stays over and it's, it's all they do is like hold like lightly, like, like not even hold hands, but like, they're just next to each other. Like it's, it's very sweet. And then this just sort of like they run into each other at the library and the lecture hall and, you know, and Telma buys some wine for them to drink. And this is one of my very favorite parts where she tells the candle flame story that when she was like five years old, her dad held her hand over a candle flame until it just started to burn. And he said, well, this is what hell is like all the time. Like what? Oh, my God. Oh my god. And this is the part where Anya is completely horrified and like uh <laughs> she's like so you hate your dad? <laughs> she's like no, no, he's a good guy. Then But the, it's very interesting cuz then uh yeah, Anya tells her she has a bad experience with Christianity, but then again, Thelma just is like, "Well, so do you hate them?" And I just I love this convo. It's like 
really feels like a true respectful convo between two people just kind of like, hey, here's all my baggage I'm bringing to the table, you know? Yeah. There's um, a part where Anya is, is she, they start talking about Jesus. <laughs> I love that. And Anya says, Jesus turd. And then Thomas says, Jesus turd, I think, or Anya does. But anyway, then they ramp it up to Jesus cunt. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Thomas saying, yeah, you have to take what's really holy and then something that's totally not holy. And she can't say the word Satan. She's like trying to get it out and she's whispering and she's just like, and then finally she says, Jesus, Satan. And it's just like, it's really cute. It's very cute. It's amazing. The next part is when Anya goes to the concert hall with Mm. Anya and her mom. And well, it's very Norwegian, I think. I mean, (laughs) <laughs> the yeah. dance the dance that's going on on stage the baffling you know that's at the top of the concert hall but the scene with Telma and Anya I think is very sexy because oh yes um, yeah Anya first they you know they're holding hands um but then it escalates to the point where Anya is very slow but, yeah. you know, Anya gradually is putting her hand like on the inside of Telma's thigh. And it's and just before this. Yeah. Anya's like, you know, because um, they're there with Anya's mom and Telma's like, so why why couldn't Daniel come? I guess Daniel was Anya's boyfriend. And she's like, oh, because I broke up with him. And uh, Telma's just like, OK, and is kind of like. Smiling, like a little bit smiling to herself, but Anya's like, "Well, don't don't tell my mom." Like, you know, she really liked him. Also, this is kind of like secret in a yeah, way, too. Yeah. You know, it's very secret. And I just, I guess, I just want to say, want to add in. I think all of this is so realistic. I think for a girl like Talma, who has no experience, like, like the feeling, like even just holding somebody's hand for the first time Mm -hmm. when you have no experience with that. I mean, like you were like red all over, like you, like you burn, like, I mean that, that was my experience because I just was like, Oh my God, what's happening right now? You know? And I remember I had a, a uh, girlfriend in high school and we never actually like kissed or anything, but there was one time where it was very similar to the evening before, or the time before with Anya and Talma where they, where they were just in bed next to each other. We just kind of had a moment like that. And it was very sweet because that was like any more would have been too much, you know, but even just that was just like, um, <laughs> and so I don't know, just this to me just feels very real. Like if you are very anxious, like Talma is and very like reserved and like wound up, it's like, you this would be insane like you would be losing your goddamn mind if you didn't know because i think also what's very interesting about stories like this of young women falling in love is like i don't know what it's like you know for norwegian people but at least in america it's like female friendships are very normal it's like girls holding hands walking down the schoolyard is like normal you know my my girlfriends would like braid my hair you know or sometimes i would put my head in their laps and they would just run their fingers through my hair it's very it's it can be very physically intimate and i think it can be confusing for a lot of people when it was certainly confusing for me when i was like why do i have some friends that i like like 
a lot, you know, like I always want to be around and mm. all this stuff. I think it can be, and I think for her, she's very also confused and, and can probably play it off as like, well, yeah, we're really good friends, but this is the time where it's like, oh no. Yeah. She, you know. So, and that, that baffling that I mentioned just starts to sway back and forth. And anyway, it's too much for Tom when she runs out. She's going to leave, but Anya comes and strokes her face and kisses her. And Anya's reaction is not great. She feels like she's going to throw up. And Thelma's reaction. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, you're like, Thelma's reaction is not great. She feels like she's going to throw up and she runs away. And she calls her dad. And she first is acting like nothing's wrong, nothing's wrong. But he goes, I always know when there's something wrong. Just tell me what it is. And he says something. I don't know if it's here or later. He says, it's important that you do. Ugh. This guy I fucking hate him. But then she confesses that she drank one beer or two beers <laughs> or something. <laughs> uh, she goes to church. She sings in a choir about Jesus, you know, emerging from the tomb. And she goes to a party with a boy. Oh, there's a part where she's 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 praying and she's asking God to take away her thoughts. And then um, she goes to this party with this boy, Christopher, and she's drinking and she's drinking a lot. Mm -hmm. And Anya's there. She avoids Anya. But Anya's like, hey, uh, Blake, what's up? You're not responding to my messages or anything. And she's like, yeah. gives another quick lie. Yeah. I didn't see it. Yeah, super busy. <laughs> she just like turns heel and leaves. <laughs> yeah. But then there's this terrible prank that the kids play on her. They pretend that they're smoking a joint and they offer it to her and they're acting high. And so she starts acting high, but she's having this sort of hallucination at the same time. Because also this is like the most she's ever drank. <laughs> oh, yeah. Probably. For sure. I would say probably for sure. And nicotine can make yeah, you Yeah, you can get high, totally, if you don't yeah. smoke. So, but then she has this hallucination that she's making out with Anya, and Anya's like, you know, touching her breast, and, and then they're making out, and it's kind of heating up, and then the snake comes back, and it goes across Telma's neck, and Anya's hand goes into Telma's underwear and the snake goes into Telma's mouth like goes completely inside of her mm -hmm. and so then we kind of like pull back and she's like her head is lolling you know on the back of this couch and the hostess the host reveals that th they played a trick on her and there's no marijuana in the cigarette it's just nicotine and Telma vomits on the carpet which I love <laughs> me too classic yeah classic um, drank too much young person thing she runs away and then later she gets an mri she doesn't have a brain tumor and but they want to do some tests on her in the epilepsy ward she finds out that she had these seizures when she was a kid and her dad put her on this really heavy medication and they said that she had a nervous breakdown that's what they that's the category in the medical chart Okay, so then we get the flashback to when she's a kid and her mom had a baby. And classic, you know, firstborn stuff, you know. <laughs> mom doesn't really have as much time for you anymore and is fully concentrated on this child. 
and mom puts the baby into playpen and the baby's crying, crying, crying. And Talma closes her eyes and the baby's crying, crying, crying. And the crying suddenly stops. And, but then they can't find the baby anywhere. And finally, you know, parents are freaking out. And finally it's revealed that the child is under this heavy sofa that you can't move all by yourself. So Tron. It's kind of like, uh, what the fuck? Yeah, it's like impossible for the kid to be under there, but Trond like lifts the sofa to get him out. Then the doctor back in the present is trying to induce a seizure in her, and he wants her to think of some troubling things. This I feel so bad for anybody who has to I I know it must inevitably be for their own good, but it's like this seems horrible, like that anybody has to induce their own seizure. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, so we sort of like, have Have you met any friends, any boys? Maybe it wasn't a boy. And then mm-hmm. she is like thinking about dancing with Anya and kissing Anya. And when she has the sort of vision of herself vomiting, this time she's vomiting the snake out of her body. Anya is in her apartment and she walks toward the window and it's kind of like, what? is up with Anya but she's just sort of like slowly walking toward the window and then we get this effect that's not great it's okay but all the glass shatters and then I guess as it reconstitutes itself into the window it takes her with it so now she's sort of in this limbo state and she's a part of the glass or I don't know she's in some weird dimension Telma has a seizure (laughs) (laughs) and she immediately goes to call Anya, but obviously she gets the voicemail. Which is weird because Anya's been calling her like actively. So the doctor says that she might have psychogenic non-epileptic seizures and finds out that her grandma is alive. She thought that her grandmother had died years before. She was like, oh yeah, well my grandmother died and they're like, um, she's <laughs> actually here in this place. So you just got to be thinking as her like, what the fuck? And the grandmother had these kind of seizures. And so she's like, okay, this is really weird. And she finds out where the grandma is and she goes to see the grandma. And the grandma's like completely drugged up, <sighs> like in a bed, just like not there. She's just like completely out of it. So the doctor tells her that, yeah, she's like this now. And, you know, your dad doesn't seem to think it's a problem that she's on these heavy meds. Because before we got to the state, she had these weird delusions that she could make things happen. Like, for example, um, her husband disappeared one day. Um, He was fishing on the lake and then he just like disappeared. And she thought she was responsible for that. And she thought she was responsible for causing her own cancer. Is mm-hmm. You know, so, okay. <laughs> so still getting, you know, still getting the voicemail for Anya. And Anya's mom actually texts Telma, like, do you know where Anya oh, is? So scary. I like this part where she's swimming in the pool. Mm-hmm. So she's swimming. She has a seizure while she's in the pool and she sort of sinks down. And when she goes to get out of the pool, there's a barrier and she can't, she can't get, she can't get to the surface. But then obviously that's just a a delusion, a hallucination that she's having and she does break through. 
she goes to Anya's house. Anya's not there. But she notices on the glass of the window, there's a piece of Anya's hair that's inside and outside of the glass. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was kind of cool. That looks pretty realistic, actually. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of CGI in this. But, you know, I, I mean, what can you do? So she goes back home because she's afraid that she's done something terrible to Anya. And she's like crying. And she's like, can I please just come home? And her parents are like, well, yeah, of course. And so then she's at the table. Girl, why are you drinking that tea? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, and especially the mom's like, drink it up. Drink Drink up your tea. (laughs) Anybody is like, hey, do you want this? Don't drink it. Crazy eyes. So anyway, they've drugged her. And they tell her, look, we've drugged you. We know what's happening. We're going to help you. Just, you know, whatever. Dad tells her the story about Matthias the baby. And this is pretty rough. But um, when Telma was dreaming one night of her baby brother, he disappeared again. And the parents obviously were freaking out. And they're looking all over the house, nowhere to be found. And Talma is looking out the window at the frozen lake. And then Trond, the dad, sees her walking in her little nighty out to the frozen lake. And he runs and he's crying and the baby is trapped under the ice. So after that, the mother attempts suicide and that's how she ended up in the wheelchair. So... Basically, Talma is the cause of all the the things that have gone wrong in this family. The dad starts giving her pills and they're praying, praying, praying all the time. And she says that she's mad at her dad and she's mad at God. Well, she confesses that she loved Anya and Anya loved her too. And mm-hmm. the dad says, oh, well, that can't be. That can't be true. She didn't have a choice. <sighs> like you forced her. Because of the way you are, you forced her to love you. And um, I thought that was just. It's so heartbreaking. Really, it's horrible. Really made me feel sad. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so the plan now is they're going to kill Telma. <laughs> I mean, what can they do? She's a yeah. menace, right? So. And that's how they treat her. And that's yeah. what's so sad is like, it really is coming full force, like how the mom is. Like, she just. She loves Tron still, but she fucking hates Telma. And the dad sees her, I think, I think the dad thinks he loves her, but he is kind of like, well, this is my responsibility to, you know, what I brought in must be taken out. Um, (laughs) There's just this one look that her mom gives her at one point where it's like she goes to touch her mom and like the mom just like looks at her so coldly it's so good because again it's something where you would probably feel crazy if you were like it's the way you look at me (laughs) you know (laughs) i know but it is totally is is. yeah she looks at her she doesn't have to say a word like she fucking hates her so telma's understanding what's going on and she asks her dad can you just let me go no that's not going to happen and there's the whole part where he's he's bathing her and she's like completely like drugged out. Um, this is the horrifying part of the movie to uh, me. Yeah, almost catatonic. And it's just horrible. It makes me really sad because I, I like, you know, 
people do this to old people now, you know, mm. people do this to people. Like, I'm not necessarily saying exactly how this happens, but it's just like, I just feel like there's so many fucked up people who just see others as like an issue to deal with. Mm. And it's like, well, just, you know, sedate them, you know, and that's just, it's really sad. And so she's, she's realizing that, that maybe that's what they're going to do to her, just like they did with grandma. Then we have a scene of dad out on the motorboat and he kind of goes away from shore and he's smoking a cigarette. And then we get the cycling birds above his head. And then he went, when he looks, he sees Telma on the edge of the water and he's like completely freaked out. And then he catches on fire. Like he <laughs> literally catches on fire. Like his hands. It starts with his hands. Yeah. Telma wakes up and she's like, huh, crazy dream. But then when she goes out to the <laughs> water, she sees the empty boat. So. I love this might be the best. So she walks out and she swims out and she's like super confident and she ends up back at school in the pool and she comes up and she smiles because she sees Anya there and they smile and kiss. And uh, then she's back home on the lake and she's kind of choking on something and it's a black bird and she <laughs> vomits out this black bird and she's just lying on the ground. And there's a shot from above and it's just her body. And then there's from her perspective, she's looking at the trees. And I want to talk about this shot, but um, we'll just finish up the movie. But she visualizes that Anya's phone is calling her. And it's really a cool shot. It's like the camera pushing in on this chest where the phone is has been stored and it just you know she sees like through that barrier into where the phone is that's i don't know it's really cool so Telma goes back to the house and she heals her mom and eh. I, I love that part too because she's yeah. just like i'm really powerful bitch and like oh, i know what i'm doing now and then she's like later days and she goes back to college and this is where people have suggested that Anya doesn't have any agency because we see it's a kind of a mirror of the time before when Telma was looking at Anya's ear. <laughs> we get that shot, but now it's of Telma's ear and Telma imagines that Anya kisses her. And then a moment later, Anya kisses her. I think that that is an interpretation, but I I feel like there's a lot of context clues. I feel like that point, not in that direction. I feel like Anya likes her, you know? I do think Anya likes her. And, and I feel like I have, I have qualms just with the general concept of her he, quote unquote healing the mom's legs because I mean, it's like that mom's issues were, weren't, didn't stem at all from her disability. It was all her depression. You yeah. Know? It's like she's still going to be depressed after this. Her fucking, she still hates Telma. Her husband's dead and her beloved Matthias is still dead. So it's, I'm not saying good, like I like the mom, but I just don't like that trope of like, I helped you. Like, look, I healed your legs. Well, and it's like, that wasn't even, but I think what they're trying she, to convey there though is that she's like, I can use my powers for good bitch. Like, you think I'm evil? Like, look. Look at what I'm going to do for you right now. Like, I believe that was the point of it, but I just feel like it maybe could have been executed differently. Also, on a practical, 
<laughs> level, um, you know, she's going to be under no obligation at all to take care of her disabled mom because her mom isn't disabled anymore. Yeah. Um, so she can just be like, see you, bitch. We are yeah. done. That's a wrap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, but I, I really love all the nature stuff um, when yeah. she's lying on the grass and she looks up at the sky and then we see like a caterpillar and a bug. Yes, and, yeah. And the shot, the God shot, well, I don't know what you call it, overhead shot looking down on her. I think you could interpret that as God's looking down on her. She's looking up at God or if you don't like God talk, she's just a, she's natural. She's a part of nature. This mm -hmm. is the world and she is a part of it. She is not a stranger to it. She is not an alien. Like she belongs here. She fits in this like whole ecosystem and there's nothing evil about her. She's not like consumed with sin. And I think you could interpret it if you are a God person as they just told her a bunch of bullshit. And actually, you know, she is a part of this whole thing. That's one way to look at God. But you could say, okay, that's all bullshit. And she's actually a part of the world. It's kind of like a pagan kind of a way yeah. of looking at it. And I mean, I do think she seems like she, she seems somebody who is spiritual no matter what, mm. you know, like probably the whole, like, and I mean, this, this form of Christianity isn't for many Christians either, like, you know, the fire and brimstone, it's like, that probably just isn't right, you know, for her beliefs, that she definitely still seems like somebody who is happy being spiritual. And I feel like her the scenes with her in nature kind of prove that is she's like, and I guess the thing to me is like, I don't, I feel like this movie might be trying to make the argument that manifesting something that's not necessarily the same thing as forcing somebody to do something it's like anya is not a prisoner in her body going over and kissing her but it's like this might be kind of hokey sounding but i do think that when you are close enough with somebody you like can read their mind you can like i i swear i finish i could finish almost all of alan's sentences like there are times where he's like you know i'm thinking of and i was like are you thinking of this and he's like how did you know that and it's like <laughs> i just I just know because I know you so well. And I don't know. I feel like a scene like that could just be that she's like, she's like, I really want this to happen. Right. And then good for her. It does. You know? Well, and I thought that was the first time. I mean, I was like super happy. Like at the yeah. end of the movie, like the first time I saw it, because I'm like, oh, wow. Like, yeah, they're so in sync. They have this like they were planning to meet up like she heard yes. her or smelled her or something. So, uh Yeah. I, mean, I don't think it's nefarious. I don't either. So I think that interpretation is interesting. I guess you could go with it that way. And then that makes it a very disturbing movie at the end. Yeah. <laughs> makes it horrible. <laughs> makes the parents right. Like, yeah. do you want that to be your reality? It's like, no, I want the happy lesbians to be happy together. Okay. Yeah, and I like it that she can, <laughs> she can see that she's not, yeah, she's not evil. There's nothing evil inside yes. of her. She has like amazing power, just like we all do. And when she realizes that, like when she goes, 
confidently into the lake and then ends up at the school and she's like, oh, I can bring her back, you know, and oh, it's just like There's so much joy in it. It absolutely is. And and Anya's not like, hey, why did you put me in limbo? But, yeah. you know, she's it's all it's all good. It's all it's okay. good. Yeah. And I, that to me, because obviously the point of this movie, it's not you shouldn't also look at it with a super literal lens. Like clearly this is about breaking through and finding the true one inside of you who you've been forcing away because they also say to her like these seizures are caused by somebody holding something in like she's so wound up so it's like it should only be like i change if you think that this is a nefarious film it's like you you misread it honestly because it to me the whole point is about the joy and chasing your bliss like and that you know what? She might not, her parents might be so fucked up and like doesn't have a great relationship with them, but there are people who love her and she's finding them and good for her. They have a cute little convo at the end. She says to Anya, like, you look smoking today. And Anya says, that jacket looks great on you. It's like, it's great. You just got goosebumps. I don't know. I just, (laughs) I think it is really sweet. And I think it's like, super important and i'm glad it exists in the world and yeah yeah i agree so what did letterboxd have to say about it well (laughs) ellis gave it three and a half stars telma's dad burn in hell telma puts down the reverse card from uno (laughs) (laughs) that's good teodora Gave it five stars and says, Telma, the lesbian Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Rock gave it five stars. Fuck it up, Thelma. <laughs> Sparky gave it five stars. Foreign lesbian thriller. Telma, the film, deserves everything in the world. Each award, so does Telma, the woman. <laughs> <laughs> so I I don't, I don't know if you saw the, the pictures that I put on. These were, again, from... Uh, montages oh. magazine so we've got the the picture of uh, of why don't you call your audience we have the picture of telma looking at her hands and then the father looking at his hands as they're bursting into flames and then yeah there's just this grid of all these pictures of tell of the actress like she's oh, amazing she, she's just so good and then there's that picture of you know, her looking up at the sky and then the mm-hmm. overhead shot of her um, and the fact that she's wearing white, she blends yeah. right in with the white sky. Hello. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, water usually symbolizes the subconscious, but I was thinking it's a baptism. I think she's mm. baptizing herself when she dives into the water and then she comes out at the school. And then when the bird is resuscitated and flies away, you know, she is sort of like jesus i mean she does have that you know she healed a bird yes and the when she sees the cell phone inside the cabinet and it pops on and anya's back and alive and whatever you know i it's for me it flashed back to do you know how your mobile works and so i thought that was pretty good abraham paused for a minute when he was asked to sacrifice his son and so we see that twice with the dad, mm. um, the snake, obviously, the snake <laughs> symbolizing sin, I guess. But the fact that she sees herself vomiting it out of her body 
is mm-hmm. really That's nice. That's pretty powerful. Yeah. I mean, it's like it going around her grandma's neck. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's her it's her parents who have done this to the grandmother as well. It's like, yes, obviously her grandmother, like things happened, but it's like the answer cannot be to just put somebody into a drug induced coma. Like that's, that cannot be the answer. And it's like, so the fact that it was like somebody, I I know it's very powerful. It's like somebody else's like choice or projection is confining her like to this life and kind of in a similar way it's like she Telma like the real sin is like her dad and like this yeah. kind of he he's doing so many things in the name of like Christianity you know like to be more and you using that as a way to instill fear into her when she is closer to the idea of like God than he is, which I love that a lot. Yeah, me too. And he did use it as a weapon. And he said that, like, you haven't Mm -hmm. had seizures, you know, since you were a kid, and you found God. Well, she didn't find God, you know, all this fear was pumped into her. And then when she gets to see a different perspective about, you know, things like you do when you go to college, you know, she starts to understand the things, not everything that her parents told her was true or correct and it is confusing but she's got the courage to question and i don't know i love it but how would we rate this could we rate it in resuscitated black birds <laughs> i give it hmm, four and a half <laughs> four and a half blackbirds yes yeah i would i think i would do i don't think it's absolutely perfect because no. there just were a few things like I don't even, there are some things that maybe could have been conceptualized better. Like if you're going to leave a question about what really happened to Anya, I wish that her disappearing would have been a little bit different. Like that the glass breaking is very weird to me. And Mm -hmm. like, I wish we could have seen her in the limbo or something. But other than that, I feel like it's great. Yeah, it's got really a lot of cool ideas. And I think it is pretty simple on one level. But yeah, just all the symbolism. Um, I don't know. Visually, oh my god. So beautiful. I mean, it is European. <laughs> yes. It is slower than American movies. And you have to read subtitles, but we're not afraid of subtitles. So no. uh, what have we learned from this? Question, question things. You know, um, if somebody is telling you that you are bad... That's probably a bad approach. There are ways we can improve, but there is, you don't have to be mean to somebody to improve them. And also, using religion as a fear, as a method of fear, is not going to bring anyone closer to God. Oh my gosh, I know. It breaks my heart so much. Um, Yeah. But it's so, it's, I mean, it's like something like that, like, I mean, even just the idea of burning in hell was scary to me as a kid. So, like, to the idea of like burning some child's hand is just so horrible. And I mean, I guess also like, like, yes, Helma teleporting her brother into under the ice was a bad thing. But it's like there was no way in which she wanted that to happen. And it's like, I just think that. People do have a tendency to project so much meaning and 
nefarious deviousness onto actions when simply I think sometimes mistakes are made and bad things happen. But forgiveness also makes you a better Christian, would it not? (laughs) Well, she was dreaming when that happened. So she wasn't even like literally conscious of that desire. And yet she was held completely accountable for not only his death, but what happens to the mom as well. Yeah. So um, would we watch it again? Yes. Yeah, I would watch it again. Definitely. Did you have a favorite part, Mac? Hmm. Um, I mean, I really like the ending. It made me really happy. I, I don't know. I just, I like any of the moments where she's kind of learning how to be a young adult. I just felt like they were very true to life. Like being, and you know, just when she's talking to her parent or her dad and she's like, this is really hard. Cause like my first year of college was like one of the toughest. And if I hadn't been dating Alan and therefore had like, you know, somebody to spend the night with or something, you know, and I just had to spend all my time in my dorm, I it probably be, would have been a lot worse. But even then I felt not normal where I was like, seems like everybody has friends and I haven't made any friends yet, you know, but I did with time, but there, it it can feel so weird because it everybody's acting. There, there are some people who are looking like they're having the time of their lives, but you're miserable. So you're like, what's wrong with me? So that all felt very real. Yeah. I had a really hard time my first year as well, but that's a story for another day. so a little bit of trivia on this ellie harbo attended the same university as telma in the movie she studied art history oh the name telma is derived from the greek word telema which means will or volition in classical greek telema refers rather to appetitive will or desire while in christian writings telema refers to the will of god Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm mm-hmm Um, Ellen Dorrit Peterson and Heinrich Raffelson, who played the parents, also portrayed a married couple in another movie called Blind. Interesting. Yeah. So I and I do I do think they had really fabulous chemistry. I mean, I everybody evil parent chemistry. Oh yeah, they did great. I mean, yeah, the mom could have been played like as a cartoon, but she wasn't. No, she was like, and honestly. yeah. If you thought that one of your children had killed the other one, I mean, how would you view that kid? I mean, and then you, you know, like, I, I don't know. There's just it's so fucked up. That family's so fucked yeah, up. Yeah, really fucked up. But <laughs> <laughs> all right, Mac. Thank you for talking with me about this. Thank you for introducing me to. I don't know if I would have watched Thelma on my own. So. I mean, I think it's a pretty natural pairing between these two. I think that there's a lot of overlap in the themes and stuff, but they're told in very different ways. And, you know, I I don't know if you'd strictly call Telma a horror movie, but definitely has a lot to offer a horror-loving crowd. I think so. Should we shut it down, Mac? Shut it down. Thank you for joining us for this episode and for all your support. It means the world of horror to us truly. Next time, it's Mac's pick of genre, and Mac has chosen animal attack movies. We will be looking at Boar from Australia and Tremors from the U.S.
We also want to let you know to look out for some minis that I'm going to be dropping into your feed. And if you have any favorite international foundational films and want to talk about it, please email us at worldofhorror96 at gmail.com or catch up with me on World of Horror Podcast on Instagram. Matt, what would you like to plug? You can follow me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash the gay Jimmy Buffett. And I stream Monday, Tuesday, uh, when, no, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. Remember, Wilhos, we love you. And don't go into the basement. <laughs>